Hello everyone, welcome back to The Main Chill. It's a wonderful podcast. Yes, excitement, thrills, surprise, shock. Janine. Hey Janine. Hello Morgan, how are you doing? I am acting like a 50s sci-fi announcer. Well, you're doing to start pretty good. You're doing pretty good. I think I was. I think yeah. I was doing pretty good. I mean, it doesn't fit with the movie at all. <laughs> but but it, I thought I'd give it a go. Well, it fits with the overall theming of the show, I think. I suppose that's probably true. But yes, hello everyone. I am Morgan. I am the uh, always host of the main show. It's a wonderful podcast. Um, it is Janine Week, so Janine is on the main show. Yay! Yay <laughs> Janine, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men? Yes. 1957. It's a pretty big movie. It is. Um... Everybody loves this movie, rightly so. It is one of the, it was one of those old movies that I feel like I know that sort of there's a good portion of this show that is about discovering new older movies, and uh, for maybe those people who ha- you know haven't watched too many older movies to see one of the movies we're talking about in whatever week and maybe check it out and maybe find out a whole new strand of old movies from there. Um, this is not one of those episodes. This is an episode about an old movie that near enough every movie fan would have seen <laughs> at well, I, least once. I actually only saw it for the first time earlier this year and I really enjoyed it. But, so I wanted to discuss well, I just feel like it's one of those sort of... It's it's a Casablanca. It's a singing in the rain. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a one of those type of like, okay, this is one of those older movies that even if I don't like older movies, I kind of have to watch this one. Yes. And it like I, it's been on my list for years, ever since I was watching some show where they were asking like different actors like what their favorite things were. And Daniel Radcliffe actually said this was his favorite movie. Of course he did, because <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe's a bit boring, isn't he? That's why. Let's be fair. Let's be absolutely honest with ourselves. Daniel Radcliffe Daniel is not Radcliffe. the most enthralling interview. Fair, fair points. I'd much rather interview actual Harry Potter, but uh, uh, we're not going to talk about <laughs> Harry Potter because pretty sure I did that on this week's episode. Morgan hasn't seen. You did. So. You went all Fantastic Beasts on me, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but yes, 12 Angry Men. Uh, Henry Fonda. Lee Jacob. Martin Balsam is in this movie, who's come up twice in two weeks. Yes. 
And I love that because he is <laughs> a <man>. great secondary <laughs> character. A great secondary character actor. Um what more what what can be said about this movie other than nothing is wasted and it's not a long movie it's about 9 it's just over 90 minutes this is very but obviously tight. it's a it's such a tight movie obviously it's it's a court it's a courtroom drama that's not a courtroom it's a jury room drama and um, it's claustrophobic it, and it's hot and it's yeah the tense. hottest day of the year. It's very tense. And you feel all of it. And I just love the attention to detail. It's crazy how good it is. Like, uh, yeah. like every little word, every little moment is paid to great attention. And I appreciate that. Just 12, 12 men sat in this room. Um, starts off, well, obviously in the trial of a, it's a murder trial um 11 of the jurors vote guilty henry fonda votes not guilty so they have to talk about it everybody's annoyed with henry fonda they just want to wanna get out of there because they just want to get out of there because it's the hottest day of the year that jury number seven has baseball tickets that he, he really wants to go to the baseball game um, so he's spending the whole movie going, come on, come on, come on, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. Yes. I have to go and see the Yankees. Um, and then it, of course, starts raining, so no baseball for you. Yeah. Um, but I like so that, that it's not kind of, as... That, I, I, was, I like that that's kind of funny to me. Yeah, that he was, like, rushing to get out of there, and then he can't anyway, yeah. so... Um, but Does, I I like it, that it wasn't as simple as all that. That it wasn't just oh no. He just thought he wasn't guilty. He said that just because he says the possibility. It's possible a lot in this movie. Yeah, he ne so, it's never he never says this man is innocent. Yes, he just says it's possible. possible. Yeah. And of course, that's the point of sort of just the justice system is that it's all about being something being beyond reasonable doubt yes and just as they're all... so sure just as they're so sure of the guilt like nobody knows the truth and it goes both ways but yet they're so strong on their side and he's just open to other options and other possibilities and they are just set but it goes both ways that nobody knows exactly what happened so on yeah. their guilty side they need to analyze it just like he's analyzing it on his non not guilty side so it's not only this sort of perfect uh justice system movie perfect sort of courtroom movie um but it's also a really interesting comment on like like you, like you said before, Henry Fonda's the only open-minded one at the beginning. Because the rest of them are just like, I'm done with this, I'm going guilty. Yeah. It's just like, wait a minute, think about what you're doing, open your mind a little bit. Eventually, obviously, more people start to realise, yeah, hang on a minute, there is a possibility here. And it's, of course, never outright said what happened... 
um you know if the if the kid actually did kill his father yeah we don't know that's not the point the, the point, point is, is these guys trying to figure it out and like when you go the around discussion. the table yeah and when you go around the table at first like nobody really uh, most of them don't really have a real reason they're just like he, he's just no. guilty he's just guilty because of how i guess the evidence was presented to them how strong it was with everyone kind of throwing it at them that you know these are the reasons these are the facts um a lot of them just yeah. kind of when they go around the table they're all just kind of like well he's he's just guilty he's just it just seemed like he was guilty <laughs> like they don't they can't give a good reasoning so i love that he kind of opens them up to the possibility of just analyzing these details and thinking there is definitely something in there that could lean the other way yeah it's he's all about like it's, it's all about open-mindedness and it's all about thinking thinking a little bit more taking that extra time to really think about something Especially before when you it's... send somebody to death yeah like which they're not is a thinking very about serious it. topic that was kind of something it's just seemed odd that they weren't really even thinking about that it's somebody's life they're just making except this one guy yeah except juror number 10 who yeah. just wants to get rid of everybody because he's a horrible racist man oh yes <laughs> <laughs> which was an odd kind of switch in character with the remake, which we'll talk about later. Um. It's very true. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes. Um, although he was, you know, that was, it was the same character type. Yeah. He was still a racist. Yes. Because um, anybody yeah, can be I a mean, racist. I, it was just when I course, saw, of when I saw that character was playing that same character, it was like, I was wondering how they were going to, treat that and how they were going to go about it it's pretty similar to, but yeah to be fair in that remake it, it still kind of works yeah it still kind of works um i just think yeah towards the beginning of this movie obviously obviously it's all it's mostly set, apart from like three minutes it's set all in the jurors room yeah um apart from a little bit of the sort of shots of the trial itself and then at the end where they're all leaving. Um, but it's all set in there. It really makes the room feel, you said it before, claustrophobic. It makes it feel Very tense. just stuffy. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, intense people getting angry with each other because so, some of these men are obviously brash men some are more meek men yeah everybody's kind of different even though it's basically um white man the movie <laughs> everybody's kind yeah. of everybody's kind of different which i guess they try they try to remedy in the remake but they did yeah. look they did they did <laughs> and um, i liked that they had very distinct kind of care like you don't have really have time to focus on the characters themselves because it's just kind of the issue and the discussion of it, which is the main focus. But I like that they threw in and peppered in little things to give you kind of details about each person and give each of them a very kind of distinct personality. Because yeah, I mean, like in that such a I, tight story, there may not be time for that, but they were able to work it in in clever ways, just kind of in side discussions and just them kind of having their own little monologues here and there 
that was enough to kind of give you a flavor of each kind of character and who they were and add to why they felt the way they felt and that's that's you know that's the thing from the outside it could be kind of easy to say that you know the movie looks or, or from an from the from an outside perspective the movie could be viewed as how is this not just a boring movie about yeah, people talking in a room <laughs> in a room because that's all it is it's a movie about people discussing things in a room it's just presented in this way that you are latched onto every word yes and are so invested in this case because you haven't watched the case you don't know you get you know as the audience get presented with the evidence once it comes up yeah and, and they're discussing you can it. make your own mind up as well yeah um of course henry fonda brings up all these great points about being beyond reasonable doubt and you know there's stuff with like um an old man in the apartment below who apparently heard the boy kill his father even though there was a passing train yes and for him to run to the hallway and see him run down the stairs when he has like a gimpy leg and he actually even needed help getting to the stand but yet somehow in 50 seconds 15 seconds he was able to get from his bedroom all the way down his hall to his door when he has a bad leg and he's an old little old man (laughs) and the and the woman from across the street yes apparently saw the boy kill his father through the windows of the train while she wasn't wearing her, her glasses. glasses. And of course, we, oh, we don't I loved find that. out. <laughs> we don't find out certain details about it until a bit later. So we kind of, it kind of presents us with sort of, when, when the different pieces of evidence are brought up, it's kind of like, okay, this was a piece of evidence. And usually it's brought up by the people saying guilty. Yeah. It's just like, well, this was a reason. But this then it's is why like, I like completely believe he's guilty. Yeah, and then they bring then up we get presented facts. with. Yeah. yeah, then we get the more analytical people, the more open-minded people, which of course does start with Henry Fonda, but opens up to more of them, um, who come in, being like, "Well, there was this detail that we as an audience didn't know, but everybody else heard because they were there yeah. in that court." case listening although you know i can't remember who says he nearly fell asleep i think it might have been lee j cobb actually who's juror number three who's kind of if there's a villain of this movie it's him yes um but he's kind of not really a villain because he kind of got a bit if anything juror number 10 is the villain who's just the racist man yeah um number three is kind of just a wildly different man. He's just the stark opposite of Henry Fonda. And I think he's just kind of playing into his own personal issues with they which they do set up at the start. So he has They do set up at the start and only pay it off right at the at end. The end. It yes. works so well. So you have his own personal issues kind of feeding into it and even Henry Fonda saying things to him like, you know, you just you See, when you see somebody kind of switching back from the non-guilty to the guilty, you see that as a win, like a personal win for yourself. You seem like you want to see this kid die, like, not just because it's right or wrong, just because you that's what you want and you want your own brand of justice. Like, 
he has this whole personal like uh, vendetta invested in this whole yeah. case and that's what's clouding him to just unequivocally say guilty so yeah. I like that you know he gets kind of called out on that It's ju- and it's purely because he has a troubled relationship with his own son yes who, who he hasn't seen in a few years and they had a fight so he's kind of like really resentful of his own son yeah so he sees and this son co- who kills his father as the case and so he all of that is feeding into his well this son deserves to pay just like my son deserves to pay for what you know yeah you know yeah this you know he 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 views it as this son obviously killed his father because sons are horrible to their fathers like my son was horrible to me exactly so i love that setup like like i said just these different things kind of peppering in that play into the story later that give you that bit of each character i mean script wise it is just perfect you said before it's so tight but like you said as well the attention to detail but it's the way that the details are presented and exactly when they are presented and the reactions to a, them are really great the too. reaction the reactions to them i think as as a structured movie it's one of the best structured movies yes. i've ever seen because to to have someone's attention invested in a discussion that 12 people are having for 90 minutes about something that is completely irrelevant to you and that is in fact fictional it takes some serious serious good structure to be able to write something yes. that's that engaging and it takes place in one one location so there's not really interesting things to yeah. see or stimulate you you're stuck in one place it's just the characters, all of which have defined qualities, some of which are kind of off. I mean, it's not, you know, there's there's very little comedy in the movie. It's, kind of, it's this serious discussion. Sometimes it's a little bit lighthearted. Um, my favourite line, and we'll get back onto this guy, actually, but my favourite line in the whole movie is there's one sort of European guy in this i think he's he must be kind of like swiss i guess or maybe hungarian yeah the watchmaker he's maybe like austrian or hungarian or something like that um the character i'm not i don't think they ever say yeah but um he's played by george voskovec um and my favorite line is when the 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 racist juror number 10 says something like um he don't even speak good english yes <laughs> and and this guy just says he doesn't speak he corrects good english. him like the foreign person is correcting the, the racist man who's like calling out the the uh, accused <laughs> for it not is, <laughs> the foreign accused of not speaking proper english and then he's not even speaking proper english and the foreign man is the one who corrects him like stuff like that is so good it was it's and there's a look there's a lot of that there's not a lot of exactly that but there's a lot of people realizing what they've just said is stupid in this movie well like the guy with the glasses that whole moment with the guy with the glasses not just him 
uh, with the movie situation, but just also the glasses situation with him. All of that was like so perfect. Like they set up, you know, it's a very hot day. It's the hottest day of the year. And somebody just, you know, subtly comments like, you don't sweat, do you? He's like, oh, no, I never sweat. And then when yeah. Peter Fonda makes him realize something that kind of goes against his points, you see him wipe some sweat from his head. And it's like, wow, yeah. like he is it's so tense. And he, he's come to this realization that he's could be possibly wrong. And he was so sure, like literally a second ago that a bead of sweat just starts coming off his head when it's been established that this dude just never sweats. And that's, you know, that's kind of late on. He's one of the, he's like the second last person to, to, cha- um, to change, his... to change his, change his vote. Um, he's a great, he's great. Actually. I forget, I forget his name. Um, but he is, I really like him because he's the stockbroker guy who's just like the stuffiest, most, mm, yes, I'm a bit better than everybody else. So I'm looks going to like vote Slugworth guilty. From... <laughs> he looks like Slugworth or Mr. Wilkinson from, uh, Willy Wonka. from uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He does it's E.G. Marshall. Um, E.G. Marshall's great. I think he gives... I mean, everybody. Everybody's great in this movie. He gives one of the best performances, though. Apart yes. from the main two, because Henry Fonda's obviously Henry Fonda. You can't ever go wrong with Henry Fonda. Um, he's just the perfect sort of. I'm he's, a good guy. And I'm he's going so to do steady. good things. Yes, he's so steady. He, he never really loses he's always, it. He's always steady. He's the most wholesome person. Yeah. Um. Which is why it's always my favourite thing in, in Once Upon a Time in the West when he's like the child-murdering villain. And that's the first time you see him. He's just in this full black Western suit um, with his hat and it's just these b- really bright blue eyes, but he's just killed a child. Oh <laughs> and it's Henry gosh. Fonda. What? So... Yay for we- yay for spaghetti <laughs> westerns who did that. Well done, Sergio Leone. Um, that was a big thing. That was a big thing about that movie. Um, I'm sure I've said this before on this show, but a big thing about um, Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. Henry Fonda had no interest in being the villain in Once Upon a Time oh, in the yeah, West until he does Sergio. Not seem like the type at all. No, not not until Sergio Leone told you know brought up the point very similar to how Henry Fonda brings up points in 12 Angry Men at the point of okay think about this what if we we have a shot of a family we have we have a little scene of a family the child goes outside um you know like the the child dies and then all of a sudden um people come out of the bushes Right, the child gets shot. People come out of the bushes. Um, the cat, and then the camera pans up, uh, pan, uh, you know, goes to this uh, one guy. Focuses on this one guy. Pans up, and it's Henry Fonda. Uh, and everybody goes, "What? what Henry Fonda can't happened? have done this. Yeah. What? Henry Fonda? Because of course, at this time, and I love it, is that people went to the movies for the actors, not for the characters or yeah. for the." you know like we do now we we go for the characters we go for the 
the the IP. Um, you know, we 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 don't go and see a random uh, Donald Gleason movie, but we go and see <laughs> Donald Gleason if he's in a Star Wars movie because it's Star Wars movie. Yeah. You know, it's it's that. So I just I love that story. Subverting it's one of my favorite sort of, Wow, I like it's that. It's one of my favorite movie casting stories. Like is, is 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 that. Um, but Lee J. Cobb as well, obviously, in this movie is is excellent as the op- complete opposite to Henry Fond. But his his whole, um, I mean, he really he really does play the sort of aggressive, brash yes. guy very very well. Um, also proves a lot of uh, Henry Fonda's points with his, you know, with his actions and things he says and people calling him out does. gradually through the movie and he still, like, refuses to budge. Like, even when, you know, he, Henry Fonda brings up the point of that old man had heard the son say, I'm going to kill you before the father, yeah. before he heard the body hit the floor. But, like, that's something people say all the time. Like, you know. Yeah. And then later he ends up you know getting into it with juror number three and he ends up saying that to henry fonda and then henry fonda kind of throws it back in his face like oh but you know you don't really mean that right (laughs) (laughs) what is so great as what is so great as well and i think a lot of this obviously has to go to sydney lumet as the director we haven't mentioned yet but sydney lumet sydney lumet's first movie um directing directing this he leaves time for these reactions after these sort of big moments of realization because lee j cobb has another one where it's like um he's off ranting about something and how the guy's you know guilty and bringing up whatever evidence and then you know someone retorts at him and he retorts back with something ah he was an old man he couldn't be sure what he what he heard yeah or what, or what he saw, or whatever it is, but it's something like that. Realizing, oh, wait a minute, that goes both ways. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you, you get those sort of five seconds or so of the realization. You see, you see he, him realizing his face. You see everybody else well, realize yeah. what he's just said, and you, and then you just go. Uh point to henry fonda yes just like the same thing with the knife when henry fonda brings the knife that he bought that's similar to the knife that was used for killing the father and then they take the evidence knife away but the knife that henry fonda has is still there and then lee j cobb picks it up and he's like saying this is the knife and then somebody calls him out and said well no that's not really the knife but it looks yeah Yeah. and then he like oh he just has to brush it off and not admit that that's a point against his you know his whole argument that whole that whole knife thing is just one of so many so many little sort of things where all the guilty all the you know vote guilty people are so are so convinced because oh this knife was so unique 
this shop only ever had one of them in stock. How could it be anybody else? People saw him buy the knife. Yeah. And then Henry Fonda just whips, whips out, out another one. I got the same knife. It's like two blocks <laughs> from his house. Like Cost like six dollars. Yeah. You go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's so good. And I love that um, he never says I I think he's not guilty. It's always just yeah. you know. I don't know. It's possible. But it's possible. It's possible. But it's possible. And that, yeah, that is the whole point. And I think it's, I think it's juror number six, actually, because, of course, nobody has a name in this movie. Everybody's just known by their juror number. We get two names at the Um, very end, but we we do. That's, that's true. We do. Um, But juror number six brings up a good point as well, you know, in, in contradiction. It's just like, um, you know, okay, you're convincing these people, you're making a good discussion, but what if he did kill his father? And you've and set you him free. Yeah, and you've convinced all these people to go the other way. But that's that's the point. The point is that's you know we oh, don't that know. isn't the point. The point is just that to isn't be the point. you're dealing with somebody's life, so you need to really focus and look at the details and look into that possible doubt that the case isn't open and shut. And exactly. And again, when, when that man says that to him, to Henry Fonda, you see another reaction of like him, like kind of pausing and thinking about yeah. things. And I love that they take the time to do that because I mean, once we get into the deja vu, that did not happen no. like it should have in the remake at all. No. Which is very when, frustrating. When, um, it, yes. When, when you know, sort of, you, you're not. They're not dealing with sort of the truth of whether he killed him or not. They're dealing with the court case, yes, which is a hell of a lot different to the truth. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, because it's it's an argument. It's bias from both sides because they are lawyers fighting for their own cause. They're not fighting for the truth. No. They're fighting for their own cause, and it's whoever won the argument. That's the thing with juries. They have to decide who won the argument. They don't have to decide whether it's true True or not. True or false, yeah. That's what I've always seen anyway. And that's what I think this movie also says really well, is that, yes, juror number six can make this great point of, you know, did... You know, if he did kill his father... Are you convincing these people the wrong way? Yeah, but and which is is still a possibility. Yeah. It just so happens that the evidence that was presented by the end puts yes. that beyond reasonable doubt. Yes. So therefore, you can't, you know, do it. Be- you can't because there's not enough evidence there. Yes. Doesn't doesn't mean that he necessarily didn't. And I love the fact. I mean, I was fearing that the 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 remake would actually, you know tell us whether he actually did kill yeah because it was a lot longer just time wise it was a lot longer than this version so i was worried that they were going to add more court case stuff in there and like get into it and give us not take that uh take our reasoning out of our hands and not giving us that well us kind of deciding on our own and i like movies that do that that kind of set up these things for you and then it leaves you with well what do you think 
and yeah. you make up your own mind about what was laid out in front of you. I like movies yeah. that can do that. And I was, yeah, like you said, I was worried just because with the length of time that movie was that they were going to take that away from us. Actually, as a, as yeah, viewers. A, and actually, actually give us some sort of scene yeah. of the murder taking place. I was very, very fearful of that because, of course, the story isn't about the murder, like no. we said. It's not a murder mystery movie. No. Where, you know, movies like that are only about the murder. That's the point of them. This is about the discussion of, and being open-minded. This is a movie about being open-minded. It's about possibility. And about possibility <laughs> for other things and about human discussion. And that's why I think, you know, it's so well-revered and well-loved by everybody because it's this sort of timeless movie. And yes, like I've said, it is, it is you know, white man the movie sometimes, <laughs> and it can come across that way. 12 angry but white men. <laughs> it is 12, well, 12 angry white men and a slightly different ethnicity, George Voskovec, <laughs> who is... Is white, but he's not like English white. No. <laughs> um, or he's like Mediterranean or, or whatever. I wish they'd have told well, I mean, me that where last George name Voskovec sounds kind from. of Hungarian. It sounds like Hungarian, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, speaking of George Voskovec, actually, before I forget, um, we haven't had an inductee into the Mustache Hall of Fame yeah, for quite some time. We but Mustache Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. Yes. George Voskovic. Well, I just wanted to induct. I, I, it's been so long <laughs> since somebody has been inducted into the Mustache Hall of Fame. There I'll has been no him. good mustaches no. in movies for for a, for a fair while. I think Sabrina George was Voskovec. at least between you and me. I think Sabrina was our last good, really strong mustache. I want to say. I mean, re yes, real. There, there's been one since then. Um. I can't remember though. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Did Phantom but... have any good mustaches? Oh, it might have been somebody from Phantom. Might have been someone from Phantom. No, because that was ages ago. Um, anyway, it doesn't really matter. George Voskovec. Congratulations. Mustache Hall of Fame. Applause to George Voskovec. Yay. Yay for George Voskovec. Um, not only he has, not only has the best line in the whole movie. Um, and he's kind of almost the funniest character, just because he's kind of like he, he he brings that difference. Yeah. That I think is really really welcome. Um, and he has a different outlook on things. Yes, and I love um, like. Oh, go ahead. Yes, yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Please. I was, <laughs> I was just gonna say I liked his scene, kind of. Uh, going off on the baseball game guy, how he changed his vote. And he's like, well, give me a reason. Like, tell me why I think I deserve to know. We're all in this together, figuring this out. And you just change your vote so quickly. Like, all you're worried about is your stupid baseball game. And we're dealing with somebody's <sighs> life. You need to give me a reason why you just change your vote like that. And the guy can't give him an answer. I just, I, I just changed it. I, I just think he's not guilty anymore. I just, like, just want to go to the baseball game. <laughs> yeah. And so I loved that he... You know, he takes this very seriously as maybe like an immigrant or whatever. He takes this yeah. as like a personal duty to do something and, you know, 
taking somebody's life into his hands. He sees that as a as a very big responsibility. And so he's demanding of his fellow juror to give him a reason. And I love that whole back and forth. And even just how things were shot with these kind of back and forths with people, like um, how things were shot and like you were kind of over people's shoulders and how it panned back and forth to kind of get that intensity of the discussions between the characters. Like there's even just a part with Martin Balsam where somebody kind of, messes with him and then he kind of gets frustrated like well you know he's like the foreman kind of running everything and somebody kind of questions what he's doing as foreman and he gets frustrated and says well do you want to do this you know you can do it better and then other people are talking but they're not even showing them they're just kind of zoomed in on martin balsam and his like little moment of frustration even though other people are talking about kind of things that are important, but you just hear them talking in the background, but you're having that moment with him and his kind of frustration. And I like that it kind of stayed on him for a minute while other things were kind of going on in the background, like stuff like that was just very clever and like made for character moments and intensity. And yeah. Everybody's getting angry in this hot (laughs) stuffy room. And look, I mean, there's something really interesting that the, the the camera actually does throughout the movie is that it starts by shooting everybody from above their heads, yeah, um, and moves gradually down, down. throughout mm-hmm. the movie, generally to below the eyes, just so it feels tighter, and that you feel like tighter in there. That yeah. the room feels smaller, the room feels more stuffy yes. as it all boils up to Lee J. Cobb's final sort of blow up rant yeah. and rave and blow up at the at the end. And then obviously he he ends the movie by, you know, saying, Rotten kids that do nothing for you and then breaks down and not guilty. Yeah. Cause he realizes himself. And there's great moments of like groupings and things like when Lee J. Cobb kind of goes off the first time um, against Henry Fonda and he has kind of a big outburst. Then you kind of see him kind of on one side by himself and then everybody, even though they're still not all 100% agreeing, they're all kind of grouped and just like looking at him like, dude, you're going crazy, (laughs) you're overboard. And he's kind of by himself. So you it's kind a of great shot. Yes. It's and then a great shot, that. when the racist jurors going off about who this kid is and, you know, I know these people and they're terrible and all they do is lie and cheat and steal. And he's going off on his crazy racist rant. And then everybody just gets up and kind of turns their back to him. That was a great moment, too. And then he's just like, he doesn't know what to do, but he's still just kind of going off and like... <laughs> This is this is this is a reason I really like uh, E. E. What was his name? E. G. What was his name? E. G. E. G. Somebody. E. G. Marshall. E. G. Marshall. This is why I like E. G. Marshall's performance a lot. Um, I think this is his his best. This is his best sort of embracing of his character in this movie. I think is w- during that whole um, racist rant from from I think it's Jack Warden who plays that guy. Number ten, who's great, is great as well. Um, to oh, be the, fair. the racist rant guy. Yes, the racist rant guy is Ed Bagley, I believe. Oh, it's oh, sorry. Um, yes. Everybody gets confused. Yes, Ed um, Bagley is the racist rant guy. <laughs> right, so Ed Bagley. <laughs> everybody turns their back on him. You know, everybody st- sort of stands up from their seat, 
turns their back on him, Lee, you know, he ends up being sort of exiled onto that one table in <laughs> yeah. the corner and doesn't speak for the yeah. rest of the movie. The only thing he does for the rest of the movie is shake his head to signify not guilty. Yeah. That's the only thing he does for the rest of the movie, and I love that. Yeah, he's spouted too much nonsense, yeah. and everybody's done with him, that he has, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He There's nothing else he can say or do that anyone's really going to want to care to listen to. So, no. yeah, that's all he can do. Because the, the movie's obviously also about prejudice as well, not even from him, not just from him, um, not or, or not in, just in terms of a racist, but also like a classist, because the guy... The, the you know the defendant yeah he's a uh, you know he lived in the slums and there's the one guy on the jury who is played by uh, Jack Klugman I think who's like the youngest one there who grew up in the slums yeah so, so he's he kind knew of about the knife annoyed at these yeah people kind of making kind of, these stereotypes and yeah yeah but what I was what I was saying about that whole scene and the fact that everybody turns their back on him and stands up apart from E.G. Marshall, who uh, who just stays sat down and just says, I think you need to sit down and be quiet for the rest of the day. Yes. <laughs> because he is the sort of just... He's not timid, obviously, is he? He's just very, very reserved. Yes. And, and just as steady... Uh, he, and sure of his points, but he's not like going crazy about it. He's very yeah. set. And, you know, he, if anyone is going to present a strong argument to kind of counter Henry Fonda's in the most kind of respectful way, it's that yeah. character. Exactly. Exactly. But even, um, even it, then Harry, Henry Fonda finds ways to break down his point. So, yeah. Um, speaking of Martin Balsam as well, I love how Martin Balsam is the only one who never actually gives any reason <laughs> no, for he... any of his decisions in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he just says everybody, guilty. everybody else, everybody else uh, brings up some sort of the evidence, either for or against, when they make their decision. Uh, throughout, from the first, from the old guy, juror number nine, Which who I liked is him great too. as well, yeah. Joseph Sweeney. He's great. He's the first guy to get on Henry Fonda's side. Um, and also brings up some great points. <laughs> and all, yeah, he yeah also brings up some great points to back up that uh, way of thinking. Um, but whether it's for or against, everybody brings up a reason. <laughs> Except apart for Martin, from Martin Balsam, Balsam. Who's just like, uh, yeah, uh, I, okay. I guess not guilty. Now everybody else yeah. is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love how nobody... I love how... Uh, Nobody just questions him. I like to question the baseball guy. Yes. Because the, ba <laughs> the baseball guy just clearly wants to go to the baseball. Exactly. And that's why his answers are so quick. But because he's kind of running things, he can kind of, I guess, <laughs> slip under the radar with just yeah. a guilty or not guilty. I guess that's probably guilty. why. Yeah. I guess that is, uh, that is probably why. There's, there is so much to... It's, the thing is, it's not, a, it's not a difficult movie, is it, at all? It is such a an easy watching movie yeah. because it's so engrossing. Um, it just, I mean, I, I know that the bare minimum of a movie should keep your attention, <laughs> but I feel like 
not only to keep your attention but to really get you invested in something that on the surface seems too simple to care about yeah or too um i mean i don't want to say boring again because it's obviously not boring but you think like surface level you think it would be just a bunch of guys in a room talking about some court case like just talking yeah Yeah. doesn't seem doesn't seem too interesting but it's it couldn't be further from that it couldn't be and that's just a testament it could not be a better it could not be a better version or not version it could not be a better movie for the type of movie it is yeah for a, for a, a a discussion drama or a courtroom drama or whatever you want to call it um a, a 90 minute talk about the way people think yes. and prejudice and open mindedness it could not be a better movie to show all that there's not one there isn't one just to capture all of that in like just a very contained situation is very smart like just the attention to detail that's like like i've mentioned before that's what makes it work like every line every reaction is uh, made a point to show on people's faces and shown great attention to so, I mean, I don't think yeah. it would work without any of that. Because, I mean, I think this was based, like, on a play. So, all of this dialogue yeah, was already it's a, there. It's a play. And so, it's a testament to the actors and to the direction of how you were going to make this all seem very interesting. Because I feel like, which I guess we can get into now, the remake, that, you know, yes. they were working with the same dialogue, the same set you know all that stuff was like essentially essentially the same but the delivery and the attention to those details was just not there i mean what you know what is also what also needs to be said again is that the script is perfect yeah like down to down to the pauses because i think the pauses in dialogue are what makes this movie so interesting and it adds to the tension as well because like we've said, it leaves, it does, like we said, it leaves, it adds to the tension and it leaves that time for everybody to think. Um, if it rushes through, like the remake does, and we'll get onto this now in Deja Vu, Deja Vu, Deja Vu, Deja Vu, yay, I had to sing it. Yes, of course. Um, the remake now was 1997. Uh, it was a TV movie. Directed by William Friedkin, who directed Directed the by Exorcist. William Friedkin, who's, you know, a pretty re- well-respected director. Um, it had a re- kind of a ridiculous cast. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of quality, yeah. it was great. But I don't know. For some weird reason, there was nothing there. No. It and was... like you said, they're working with the same dialogue. They, I mean... They're not working with the same script, clearly, because there's none of these pauses for tension there. There's no tension no. in this movie. Like, they're just basically, I feel like they're just saying the words. They're just saying the words on the paper when there's moments like the realization that people have about, you know, they just said something so strong on their point and no, nothing was going to change their mind. And then they end up mixing themselves up and saying something that proves 
against their point. And then they have that shock on their face, that realization that, wow, maybe there is some doubt. Maybe I am not, you know, so strong on my point. Like they took time to take in those reactions and show you those reactions. But in this movie, somebody will say something to kind of change somebody's point, And then it just gets kind of moves on to the next thing. There's no yeah. pot. Like you said, no pauses, no moments for tension. Like the, it just feels like they're reading the lines on the paper and that's it. Should we go through the cast list of this movie? We should. Just yes. to, just to, just to, uh, just to emphasize how disappointed uh, we we are in this movie. Yes. Let let's let's do it alternate alternately. Jack Lemon. Um. Tony Dancer. <laughs> Tony Dancer is in this movie. Yes. George C. Scott is in this movie. James Gandolfini. Courtney B. Vance. Uh, I think what's his name? McAlty Williamson. Who was yes, Baba from Baba Gump, (laughs) Um, Ossie Davis. Yes, that's a big one. Edward James Olmos. Edward James Olmos. Who else is in this movie? Um, Oh, there's there's definitely another George C. Scott. (laughs) No, I've said George C. Scott. I've definitely said George C. Scott. Definitely another one. Yeah, he's the old guy. Yeah. He's the old. He's the older one. There's definitely somebody else who I'm who I'm missing. There is definitely some some other. Oh, is there? I don't know. Oh no, it was the uh, the guy who was playing E.G. Marshall's guy who was like that German. Armin Mueller Stahl. Yeah, um, that's who I was thinking of anyway. But it, I mean, come on. There's way too many good actors in this. For, for it to be as dull as it was, no tension, no intensity, like certain characters were just kind of being a silly on. stereotype. The camera was super Tony shaky. Tony Danza, you mean? Yes. You mean Tony Danza. Tony Danza, <laughs> who, was, who was basically just throughout the movie saying, I'm Italian, can you guess? I'm like, yes, Tony Danza, we yes. can. We can guess you're Italian. <sighs> yeah, all the size. Like where there were shots in the original that you felt like you were sitting across the table, like you were looking over somebody's shoulder and you were there in that tense, hot room. There were shots in this one where you more felt like um, some shaky creeper who was just like popping his head up from underneath the table. <laughs> like, yeah. It was very I mean, shaky and odd and the camera work can... wasn't great and... You can maybe put it down to it being a late nineties TV movie, but the camera was strangely shaky. Yes. Um, it felt at sometimes like a handheld documentary. It, it did, was yeah. Odd. And um, kind of off-putting and, and just yeah. Like like we said, William Friedkin directed this movie. Um, obviously most well known for The Exorcist and the French Connection and stuff like that. Um, maybe I have a problem with William Friedkin because we all know <laughs> I, I famously uh, don't love The Exorcist as much as most people. Still think it's a perfectly good movie, but the the a, a big portion of the reason I don't kind of like The Exorcist is that I feel it's it's very jumpy. Yeah. In its sort of transitions, in its in the way it's put together, uh, and this movie felt the same. Yeah. 
this 12 Angry Men remake felt the same. Like, there was so much editing when there didn't need to be. It was just sound, sort of random cut to over here, let's have a shot from over here, and then over here, or under here, over there, through this guy, <laughs> yeah. over this guy, behind this guy, yeah, over, it, there, over there, over there, over there, over there. And there was, there. There was like, no... Chill out. Yeah, there was no thought behind it. Like, where this one... No there was thought behind where the camera was and where you were supposed to look. This one just felt like so all over the place. And just yeah. like there's comparative scenes where they're literally saying the same exact things and the same moments are happening, but that tension just isn't there. That intensity is not there. It just really feels like they're just reading the words off the paper and nothing more. And it's just sad because the cast is ridiculously talented. So I don't know what happened mm. that they just felt like they didn't need to do more than what was on the page like that was just going to be enough to sell the story but i uh, i found out that actually jack lemon was nominated for a golden globe for this this movie movie. what don't i don't really understand why jack lemon is a legend yes jack lemon is a phenomenal actor he's 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 very little in this movie no He's he's not doing anything in this movie. Yeah. He he just you know just, he isn't. It was very lazy. It's nineteen ninety seven. Jack Lemon was a very old man at this point. <laughs> but he was still making good movies in the nineties. He was. He made Glen Gary Glen Ross. He was in that movie. That's a good movie. Grumpy old man. People liked those movies. <laughs> Yeah, Jack Lemon's great. You've got to, how can you not love Jack Lemon? And he still had his sort of, well, him and George he's got, because to be fair, George G. Scott looked very old. Yeah. Um, but they're both great actors. You can't dispute that, but they weren't really, George C. Scott was doing his usual sort of, I'm George C. Scott, <laughs> sort of performance. <laughs> Um, stop, shout. What, what he does really well, George E. Scott, is he does that... I can't remember who I compared or who I, I said also had this before, but he goes... He does quiet and then really loud and then back to quiet and then really loud <laughs> very, very well. Yeah. And he does it in this movie as well, to be fair to him, because the character calls for it, because he's playing Lee Jacobs, uh, jury number three. Um, I actually think George E. Scott's better than Jack Lemmon in this movie. I agree. Um, if there's a positive that, there, yeah. yeah it, it's just that. weird. <laughs> I know you also wanted to talk about um, McKelty Williamson. Yeah, like so he is playing like the racist guy, the Ed Begley character and but so i was kind of curious like how this was gonna go because he's obviously a black person (laughs) so you know anybody can you know the character as well is uh you know he's a he's a he's a militant yeah he's he's like like a a black black nationalist yeah so i think that's how they worked it into him because most people like anybody can be a racist like it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are but i just was like how are they gonna play this um and yeah, I guess because of just his thoughts as being a very militant black figure or whatever, he had his opinions on certain races and 
kind of still went off on the same rant about I know these people you can't trust them da, yeah. da, da. so I mean they made it work in this in similar ways they did they but did. like you still didn't get the same reaction that you got from Ed Bagley's big kind of rant and like it wasn't as effective when they kind of all kind of got up and turned away like no. there were all the same beats the same scenes comparatively just not the same impact and they I don't, don't know also, what they could have done to get that same impact, but whatever no, it was, they I did don't not think do. You can though. I think you're trying to recreate gold. Yeah. You are trying to recreate something that is perfect, and it's no. You're not really going to be able to do it. It's a it's a perfectly fine movie. Yeah. But it's nothing more. Comparative to yeah, not comparative to the. It's original nothing for more. Sure. And you One thought with that, that really... cast and that director, you thought maybe there was a shot of it, like, doing yeah. something. But, yeah, like, they don't they don't take that t- attention to detail very seriously, I guess, no. in this one at all. So One last thing that I really did want to bring up about that was the, the fact that um, once, you know, McKelty Williamson goes on his racist rant, he actually does say something else in that movie. Whereas, you know, during number 10, Ed Bagley or whoever <laughs> oh, yeah. it is, I'll trust <laughs> you that it's Ed Bagley. Yeah. He doesn't say a thing yeah. for the he rest of the movie. Quiet, yeah. He is so ashamed at himself for showing his own prejudice. Yeah. Right, you know, Rightfully people should be so. prejudiced. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. Um, so I really, I really loved that in that, in 57 in, 12 angry in the original 12 that, yeah he's told to just be quiet um, like dude you're showing your ass there's, <laughs> yeah. there's no going and back from is. this you really have no leg to stand a- on you're done yeah he has at least got the realization in himself that he needs to change himself yeah and we get that mckelsey williamson has other lines has like two other lines after yeah. that it and it's along the lines of i don't know what you lot are talking about you so know, obviously that showing stuff. that he's not really learned much from I think I think his actual not I think his his um vote of not guilty was through just having given up. Yeah. Rather than seeing that the, a change needed to happen. Yeah. Which it, yeah, I d di- I didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a final little thing that I really kind of didn't. Yeah. necessarily love about uh, the remake of 12 Hungry Men. Yeah, so definitely did not live up to Just watch, just watch <laughs> the real movie, please. Please do. Everyone. Yes. Don't let just, this amazing we, cast fool you. Yeah, don't. We watched this, so you don't have to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is what is, a, is, is always a great thing to say. Yes. Um, I'd say this is probably our most unsuccessful deja vu like usually like oh, we, in, yes, we can turn, find yeah. even though we usually end up thinking the original is better wait, we always no, i mean wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute we had the house on haunted oh Hill, yeah how could i forget about that awful. <laughs> I, I mean it was dreadful it had but we still found elements in there that we could actually kind of latch on to as its own thing as something separate that were really done well horror I suppose I suppose but 
this movie, I don't think we really found anything that we could say. George C. Scott. Okay. George C. Scott. I did like. Courtney B. Vance. I did like. Fair enough. There was some performances. Gandolfini had precious little to do. (laughs) Ozzie Davis had nothing to do either. Ozzie Davis had nothing to do. I, I didn't like I didn't like that that those two had had nothing to especially Gandolfini because this is like just before Sopranos Gandolfini yeah. so he's kind of a bit slimmer as well <laughs> and it kind of like why is why is Gandolfini not like big yeah um this looks weird um I don't know it was weird a weird movie just please watch I mean I'm sure. Many, if not all, who are listening have seen 12 Angry Men yeah, from 1957. Cool. But if you haven't, just, just Watch do it. it. Yes. Just please. Because I had because that same, such like, a... I had that same, like, oh, this is going to be boring. But everyone says, it's so great. Oh, my gosh. And them, yeah. Like, just yeah. so, so smart, so detailed. It's one of so the smartest focused. movies you can possibly yes. watch. And I love that it kind of leaves you with, it's up to you to kind of figure out how all of this made you feel and what you think. Like, it kind of leaves yeah. it in your hands in the end. And I really like storytelling like that. I think <laughs> that's a perfect way to finish, Janine. Would you agree? I would agree, Morgan. <laughs> well, you know what people can do if they love 12 Angry Men? They can leave us a voice message, Janine. <laughs> they can. Yay. <laughs> and tell us that they love 12 Angry Men. And um, if they've seen the, the remake of 12 Angry Men, they can say, oh, God, no, yeah, it was awful. Or if they like it for some whatever reason. But, of course, you can leave us a voice message on Anchor about anything that goes on on this whole feed, whether it's something to do with this show the main show it's a wonderful podcast whether it's something to do with morgan hasn't seen that you can find every wednesday with me and janine we are in our terminator series right now (laughs) that's pretty much all you need from that or of course you can leave one for machine mondays for janine every monday that's right talking all the schmodown stuff so if you're a schmodown fan uh, on a janine the machine fan then leave uh, leave voice messages for the machine, okay. and there is a link to do that in the description of every episode you can find on this feed on whatever podcast platform you listen on. So you're only ever a click away from being able to send us a nice voice message, and we love the voice messages. We do. Janine. We appreciate them very much, and they're always fun to discuss. We love them as much as we love 12 Angry Men. Yes. Yes. If not more, probably more, because we love (laughs) voice messages that much. We do. So please, send them, send them. (sighs) Janine. Morgan. Where can everybody find you? Uh, You can find me at Janine DeBean on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out my tea shop and get some awesome It's a Wonderful Podcast merch on uh, my tea public shop, uh, G9Design on teapublic.com. You can join my Patreon at JanineLC on patreon.com. You can check out, of course, Machine Mondays, as we mentioned, every Monday here on this very feed. And you can see me right now 
deep in the team's tournament on the yeah. SEN network on YouTube. So, hey. Yeah, we have to start calling it SEN, don't we? Yeah, we do. Slowdown Entertainment Network. Yeah. <laughs> SEN. Oh, that's going to get confusing. I'm definitely just going to keep calling it the movie <laughs> trivia showdown. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. We'll, we'll, well work anyway. on it. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. We'll, we'll get better. We'll get better. Uh, guys, you can find me on Twitter at the Purple Dome with the three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at the Purple Don. Find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find the whole feed wherever. All three shows. On Anchor, of course. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Castbox, a uh, bunch of other places. That we're, there's loads. There's absolutely loads of them. Just you'll you'll be able to find it. Just search It's a Wonderful Podcast, and you will get this, the main show Morgan hasn't seen and machine mondays i know you can also of course find machine mondays now on uh, the schmodownlive.com you can on its own page because yay and yay. thank you to frank janish thank you Frankie for numbers. doing that for us because <laughs> um, it's great and frank janish good friend of the show and all things it's a wonderful podcast um just now that he's done something for us, because he wasn't before. No, nobody <laughs> liked him before. That's not fair. Sorry, Frank. Sorry. That's that's untrue. And then my that's page all, got shut down, so thank you. Oh, no. Oh, dear. What have <laughs> I done? What have I done? Um, no, seriously, though. Thank you, Frank, for sorting that out. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. I think it's episode 83. 83. I think it's episode 83. Wow. I want to say 83. If it's not 83, it's 82. So, we're in the 80s. And I like okay. that. We're in the 80s, which I think... I think Henry Fonda was in his 80s when he first won an Oscar. Really? Well, you know what that movie was. <laughs> was it on Golden Pond? <laughs> it was on Golden Pond. <laughs> I think that was his first and only Oscar. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> With Catherine Hepburn. With Catherine Hepburn. Where she tells all, him, course, anyway. You're my yeah, knight she's... in shining armor. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? <laughs> she does t She does tell him that. That was a good impression. That's better than my Catherine Hepburn impression, I can tell you that. It's way well, better you. than my Catherine thank Hepburn impression. Thank you very much, darling. <laughs> I would do a Henry Fonda impression if I could. Basically, to do a Henry Fonda impression from Twelve Angry Men, all you have to say is, "It's possible." possible. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm not good. saying he's not guilty. I'm saying it's possible. <laughs> that's all you have to do to do a Henry Fonda impression from Twelve Angry Men. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the main show from Catherine Hepburn and myself <laughs> until next time three, two, one bye, bye.